Uh, Redemption Church, what is up? I'll tell you what's up. Jesus is up. Risen from the dead. Indeed, indeed. Yes, you can give that a clap. That's a happy thing. That is a happy thing, and that is what we are here to celebrate today. Now, originally, I thought, man, we should do a sunrise service. I thought that would be super cool. So I sent an email to the sun, and I asked if he was available, and he says, no, I'm not going to come out today. So instead, we're doing the 9.30 Easter soggy service. But you know what? It's still available to us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today. So right now, I'm going to go ahead and pray, get us underway, and we're going to dive right into what we're getting into today. So let's go ahead and do it together. Jesus, I thank you for the fact that we get to celebrate that death is not the end of the story. Really, it's a blip on the radar of a much grander eternal story that you are telling, not just overall in our world, but you're telling that story in the life of every individual. And so I pray that we celebrate how you came into this world, how you invested into our lives, how you taught us how to live, and then you gave yourself so that we could have life in you. And then you rose to punctuate the fact that that life is forever eternal and abundant. And so I pray that today we will be reminded of this story and we will be moved by the story into action for our lives. So we thank you, Jesus. We praise you and we give you this day in your good and perfect name. Amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you into a little secret about pastors. Uh, you know, if you've been at Redemption at all or you know kind of our vibe here, we're all about transparency. And uh, there is this truth that holiday Sundays... They're very stressful for pastors. They are, right? Now, don't get me wrong. We love the themes, right? The themes are rad, but the stakes, they feel so high, you know? And so, like, you start kind of preparing for, like, this Easter Sunday, and it's me, and I'm like, oh, am I going to be clever enough? Am I going to be compelling enough? Am I going to be clear enough? Am I going to be funny enough? I'm going to be moving enough. And you have all this, like, angst, you know? Like, can I pull this all together? And then part of it is just the reality that in this room right now, and people that are going to be watching online, there's a lot of diversity, right? Some are here because they're like, grandma's making a ham, and she said, I can't have any ham unless I come to church with her, so I'm coming to church so I can have grandma's ham, right? That's some people. How many of you are having ham, by the way, today? (laughs) Nothing says I love a Jewish Messiah more than a pork product, right? So... (laughs) Love it. Like, yes, Jesus the Jew, let's give him some bacon. All right, so anyway, there's some that are here because they're like, you know what, I had a family member that asked me to come, or I felt like I was had to come, I was compelled to come, I needed to come. Maybe some are like, hey, man, I come twice a year. This is the first of two. See you at Christmas, Matt, whatever it is. I get that. Others go, it's just tradition. Some say it's guilt. But others are like, man, no, this is my thing. I love this time. It's awesome. I celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I can't wait to be there for Easter. There's all sorts of personality types in the room. And so for me then, I walk into Sunday morning, and at first I'm like, man, this is Easter fest. This is going to be rad. I'm in it to win it. I'm going to bring my Easter best. It's going to be great. But then by Wednesday, I start to freak out. I'm like, what am I going to talk about? And I don't know where to go. And I start to kind of panic because it was just, even this week in particular, there was just stuff going on and I was kind of clogged up internally and everything else. And I'm like, if I don't come up with something, by the end of the message on Sunday, they're going to be like, Kanye West is more stable than the guy that was up there talking about Jesus stuff, you know? So I felt this pressure, pretty heavy pressure. 
But then in the whirlwind and everything else, I realized like, hey man, what is kind of the, the subtext of the story? What is Easter all about? And I realized that Easter is all about junk. Junk, right? Because here's the thing about junk. We've all got junk, right? And Jesus is all about stepping into our lives to help deal with the junk, to sort out the junk, to alleviate the pain, pressure, and angst of the junk so as to give us lives that are different, unique, and special in him. That's kind of the thing. Now, when I talk about junk, I'm not talking about all the stuff that's jammed into our garage where we have a three-car garage, but we can't put one car in there because we've got too much junk. Not that junk, though. If we have that problem, we need intervention. I get it. No, the junk I'm talking about is the fact that for some of us right now, today, you have emotional junk, right? You might have anxiety, depression, fear, discouragement, angst about things in life, right? Maybe so much so that you're like, I am seeing a specialist for this, or I'm on medication for this, or I'm in therapy for this, because the weight of this emotional junk is so just crushing at times, Or maybe others of us, we have circumstantial junk or situational junk where there's something happening at work and you're not sure if you're going to have a job next week or you just got demoted or you just lost your job in some capacity. You don't know what's going to come next. You don't know what's going to happen with the financial industry. You don't know what's going on in the world. You just feel all of the weight of the circumstances of this current moment of our culture. Still others, you might have relational junk. Where maybe your marriage is just struggling and you're, you're just, you're not connecting right. Or you're at odds with your kid or your parent or some family member. Or maybe you have a friendship that just isn't going the way it used to. It doesn't feel as connected or as normal. Or maybe you work with somebody and you're like, man, we're just not, we're not seeing eye to eye. And this is becoming pressure at work. Or you have a neighbor that every time you pull up, you're like, oh, there they are. And oh, they got things to say. Oh, and they drive me crazy. And they're so, I wish we could just leave, move. Maybe it's that broken relationship. Or, or maybe it's even your own relationship to God where you're like, I feel stuck. I feel frustrated, I feel distant from him, I feel angry at him. See, junk upon junk upon junk. In fact, right now, I'm certain that the person to your left has some junk in their life. Right, you're looking, and you're wondering, like, what's their junk, right? And the person to your right, I bet they got some junk in their life too. And the person between those two people They got junk in life's trunk, man. All kinds of junk to go around. But here is the good news. Literally, it is the good news. Jesus is a junk collector, all right? He came into this world because we all got junk. We all have sin. We all have brokenness. We all have failure, mistake, grief, remorse, all that stuff. And he comes to deal with that stuff. He comes to alleviate, to help to carry the load, to come alongside and give us what we need to keep moving forward. In fact, as a church, we have a mission statement. It's helping people believe that life is better with Jesus. And and when we say that, we're not saying, oh, once you have Jesus, everything is just like cookies and rainbows and unicorns, and that's all perfect and bliss. No, what we're saying is when you have Jesus in your corner, in your life, 
in your world, whether life is good or bad, easy, hard, rich, poor, whatever it is, there's something about that that grounds you that is better in that space, that it's better to have Jesus with you than doing life without him. That's kind of our conviction as a church. And we believe this because what we know when we read through the story of Jesus is that he values you. He desires to invest into you. He loves you. So much so that's why he came into the world for you. And what he ultimately is seeking to do, because you bear his image, is he's wanting to unleash your very best self through him. He loves who you are, and he loves what you can be, and he's working toward that end. That is his heart. And so today... It's more than just a memorial to an ancient event from 2,000 years ago where we go, oh, let's just kind of think about history and that's it. No, today what it really is all about is, yes, there's this ancient event that happened 2,000 years ago, but it actually plays out in the present. Paul calls this resurrection power. He's like, I want to know the power in my life today that rose Jesus from the dead years previous. And so there's this truth that there is resurrection power, which is all about life. Right? That still comes into the world, still flows into lives, and that is exactly what we celebrate today. It's this reality that God, at this particular moment when humanity was lost in darkness, he was like, I'm going to step into the world as one of them. I'm going to come lowly, I'm going to come poor, I'm going to come to this teenage couple that barely knows how to do life themselves, but I'm going to grow up and I'm going to live among these people, and I'm going to serve them and love them and care for them and teach them and show them and guide them, and then I'm going to die for them. I'm going to die at their hands, and I'm going to show love as they get rid of me and kill me. I'm going to show forgiveness as they show hatred to me. He models even in the cross this heart that he wants us all to have. And then he's buried, and then three days later, he rises. Why? To deal with our junk and to make life abundant. Now, to kind of connect all of these dots today, I want to tell us a story. So, it's story time, crisscross, applesauce, on the carpet. We're all going to hang out here story. And all great stories have two components. They have a hero and an antagonist. And the hero in our story is the savior of souls. And the antagonist is a soul that needs saving. And yet the process of the saving of the soul, it's, it's kind of varied. It's like there's this moment, and then there's this journey, and then there's more growth. And all of that is a process. And so I want to take us into the process, but to do this, I want to start the story at the end of the story. We're going to begin this morning at the end, and then we're going to catch back up to the end in this fashion. So we know that Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He is buried just before the Sabbath kicks in, which is a holy rest time every week for the Jewish population. And so we pick up in Mark, where it says Saturday evening, when the Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Now, these same women were the ones that funded his ministry. When you look at the Gospel of Luke, we see that it was the women who were like, we believe in this guy. We're going to help fund this guy as he goes around and preaches his ministry. And now they're funding again the anointing of his body. So very early on, on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. But on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they look up and they saw that the stone, which has been very large, it was huge, it had been already rolled to the side. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. 
And the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. Yes, he was, but he isn't here now. He has risen from the dead. Look where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. Right? You're like, hmm. This is interesting to me, right? Because Mark, it's not like he's getting paid by the word here. You know, like I better add in including Peter because I'm getting paid an extra 50 cents or whatever. No, this is intentional. It's purposeful. Because Jesus knows the whole group of the 12 apostles and that Peter is one of those. But there's something about this. It's like, no, we need to include Peter in an extra special way. And so it raises the question, why? Well, the reason is because he's got all kinds of junk. Junk in his Jesus following trunk, right? That's what he has. Now, Peter didn't start off as Peter. He started off as a dude named Simon. And Simon was an interesting guy, right? He was uh, blue-collared, hot-tempered, alpha male, small business owner. He was a fisherman, owned a fishing business with his family. But one day, he comes in contact with Jesus, right? And, and here's how it breaks down, right? He's out on the boat. He's fishing. It's a rotten fishing day. He's got the net over the side, catching nothing, anything. And, and then suddenly Jesus strolls up on the beach. He's like, fellas, how's the fishing? Peter's like, uh, not so hot. Now, again, he's still Simon at this point, but it's not good. So Jesus says, well, why don't you take up the net and throw it on the other side of the boat? Which I'm sure for Simon's like, oh, brilliant idea. Eight feet away. Why not? right? Pull it up, all that work, chuck it over the other side because the guy that swings a hammer knows how to fish, you know? So probably a little frustration, but he pulls it up and he throws it over and bam, man, the net just fills up with fish. The boat starts to sink. It's just ridiculous. And so at that point, Simon's like, ah, this dude knows something. So Simon begins to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to understand the vibe and the rhythm of everything that Jesus is seeking to communicate to the world. And so there's this process and this journey where he's just following, listening, walking, learning, growing in the process. But then this journey punctuates on a particular day when Jesus comes to all the fellas and asks them a question. He says, who do people say that I am? I mean, you guys have been rolling around with different crowds. You've been hearing what people are communicating. You've heard the scuttlebutt. So who do they say that I am? One person says, well, some are saying you're a prophet. Others, they say you're a healer. Some even say you're the OG of the OT. You're Elijah back from the dead, right? All kinds of stuff. But then Jesus says, okay, but who do you say I am? And at that point, you can imagine, it's probably like every kid ever in a classroom that doesn't know the answer. Just look down, look around, don't make eye contact, right? This is the key when a teacher asks a question. Just don't make eye contact, and they're going to think you know, right? So nobody wants to make eye contact with Jesus until suddenly Simon speaks up. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the chosen one, the anointed one, the only true son of God. And Jesus is like, yes, bro, you get it. Not because you're so smart, you're so intuitive, you're so intelligent. You're in tune with my father. My father revealed this to you. You listened to him. You spoke it. That's exactly who I am. And so because of this, then what Jesus does is he does three things, right? First, he gives Simon a nickname, which is such a dude thing to do, right? 
Like guys are all about giving other guys nicknames. You know, like you meet a group of guys and you're like, my name's Phil, but everybody calls me Giggles because I can't stop giggling all the time about stuff. And that's Stevie and Mikey, that's Bigs and Smalls. The hefty guy is Tank. You look like a sport, Sporto, you look like a sport. All right, so like they give nicknames, right? So here Jesus gives Simon the nickname, The Rock. Sorry, Dwayne Johnson, there was a rock before there was you, right? But that's what Peter means. Peter just literally means the rock. So they didn't think like the name Peter. They thought, oh, he gets the nickname, the rock. Next, he gives the rock a job. He says, you're going to be in charge of this motley crew, the other fellas here. And with this group, we're going to build this thing called the church. And the church is going to go into the world and its job is to scare the hell out of hell, right? It's going to crush the gates and that's its job. So rock, go do a churchy thing and scare the hell out of hell. And then next he says, I'm handing you the keys to the kingdom. And these keys aren't just like keys to the kind of the family truckster or dad's Airbnb or whatever. These are the keys that unlock life from death, hope from despair, ultimately just forgiveness from regret. Right? All of that is there. But I'm sure when this happens... Right? As Jesus is giving all of this kind of authority and, 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 and nicknaming to, to Peter, the other guys are probably standing there going, you're kidding. Him? That guy of all of us? You're picking that guy? You called him the rock? Maybe call him the bull or, or the blockhead, right? Or the loose cannon or the Will Smith of the Oscars. Call him whatever you want. Right? Because that guy's unchained some kind. But the rock, are you kidding? This guy's glib, he's impetuous, he's volatile. But here's the thing that Jesus sees in Peter he sees his potential, he sees his possibility, he sees his outcome. And this is the thing we always want to understand, right? The way Jesus sees us isn't just where we're at, but what we will be. And he invests into us because he knows what he can unlock through us. He sees us on a trajectory. So yeah, we have some bad days. We do some dumb stuff. We fail big. And he doesn't get locked in on that. He doesn't fixate on all of our failure. He's like, that is also a way to, to grow you and shape you, to, to make you everything I want you to be. And so he sees good in Peter's trajectory. Not always in Peter's delivery, Right? But this whole thing is a journey, right? We need to face our junk, deal with our junk, work through our junk to move forward. And the rock, he's got junk. And for three years, he's going to walk with Jesus, and all of that's going to come to the surface. We're going to see that he's consistently missing the point, losing his cool, overstepping his bounds, inserting his foot into his mouth, and drawing wrong conclusions. But Jesus is working through all of that junk in his life. In fact, the biggest one comes toward the very end. So there's this final week. Jesus comes into the main city. So last Sunday was Palm Sunday. That's kind of the day he enters into this final week of things. And the week passes up to Thursday night. And so Jesus gathers all of the fellas together. They're going to have this final meal. And it's just before he is betrayed and abandoned and executed that he comes to his right-hand man. He comes to the rock. And he says, Simon, Simon, I'm letting you know, Satan has asked to sift each of you 
like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. I want you to notice just as a little freebie here, Simon, 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 three times. Three is going to be big in the story. Simon, 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 I'm telling you, a whole ton of rocks is coming after you now, right? But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned again to me, strengthen your brothers. Three things about this that really stand out to me. First of all, uh, we're going to see the rock crumble, right? So the warning's there. Not only is Satan going to sift you, what is implied in here is, and you will fail. That's why Jesus says, I've prayed for you. He doesn't say, I've prayed that you don't fail. I pray that you don't fall. He's like, no, when you come back, I've prayed so when you come back, after you've blown it, after you've piled on your junk, I've prayed for you that you get your bearings refreshed, right? And that's the third thing. When you come back, I've got use for you. Isn't that cool? I mean, honestly, I think about that. Like, would I be so great as to have my best friend, like, just not show up for me, intentionally ditch me, which is going to happen, and still be like, but man, on the other side of this, I, I really need you. I'm still with you. I'm for you. That's why I'm praying right now on behalf of you. So cool, right? So Jesus has let him know, it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough. Here's what's coming. So how does the rock take this news? Like a rock. What's he say? He says, first, I will never desert you. There's no way. So second, I'm going to go to prison with you. If you're going to the clink, I'm going with you, bro. That's where I'm at. So he's very insistent. He says, if anything, if death is in your future, death is in my future, I will die with you. It's an emphatic vow. Right? So three promises from Simon, Simon, Simon. And then Jesus says, now you're going to deny me three times. You're not going to show up. Now, again, I'm sure at this point, Peter's just dumbfounded. He's like, man, I'm the rock, bro. I'm the tower of apostolic power. I'm committed. I am courageous. I'm callous to fear. I won't sell out. I won't back down. I won't give in. The sons of thunder all bark, no bite. Yeah, they'll blow it. Thomas, doubter. Bartholomew won't even write a book of the Bible, man. But I'm in it to win it. I won't give in. You're my boo, right? That's where he's at. As long as you don't need me to stay awake tonight. <laughs> like, like, right? Because no sooner, no sooner is Jesus like, dude, you're, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. And he's like, no, man, I'm so with you. You're my ride or die. Thelma Louise over the cliff, man. That's us. That Jesus is like, okay, then can you do me a favor? I'm really struggling. I'm really heavy of heart. Would you pray with me for just a little while? And what happens? Peter's like, sure. Right? Three times. So, Simon, 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 you will deny me three times. No, I won't. I promise three times, but I'm also going to fall asleep on you three times. But after the third time, you know what Jesus does? He wakes him up and he doesn't say, you lug nut, just go away. What he does is he wakes him up and he says, come with me. He still has Peter by his side. He's still investing. He's still befriending. He's still caring. He's still saying, I'm going to deal with your junk in real time. And so no sooner does Peter wake up to start going with Jesus, this big mob of people show up on the scene. 
and they're led by another close friend named Judas, one of the original 12 apostles. He's betrayed Jesus. He shows up, and he's forever marred the name Judas. Nobody names their kid Judas to this day because of this guy, right? You've never met an Adolf. You've never met a Judas. You've never met a Pol Pot ever since they messed up those names, right? So here's the same thing. Judas has messed it up for everybody because he's the betrayer, all right? But as he shows up and as this mob shows up, what does the rock do? Well, in the spirit of Dwayne Johnson, he goes WWE. He brings SmackDown, actually. So initially, he doesn't flee. In fact, we see in the gospel accounts that somebody says, should we fight? They ask the question. But Peter doesn't ask the question. He just responds with an action. So he goes full on like Jedi Jew, grabs a saber, takes the swipe, and pops off the ear of one of the people that are there to arrest Jesus. Which is like, that's your moment? right? It's like, this is your, your moment to have like savior secret service and you get some lobe, you know, like that's your best shot, which I'm always like the guy that lost the ear that night. I'm like, good thing that Peter was a fisherman and not a lumberjack or the story would be very different. All right. So guy loses an ear. Jesus heals the guy's ear. And then he turns and he says, put it away. Stop resisting. If you're going to live by that sword, you're going to die by that sword. And in that exact moment, something snaps in Peter's thinking. And he realizes he didn't get the memo of what the Messiah really was going to be. Because in his world, the way he saw this Messiah that he had declared before and got the name Peter and everything else, he pictured that Messiah as like a skull-crushing thug who would wipe out Rome and set up Israel. That's what he thought. And now, in the moment of battle, when swords are drawn, Jesus says, put it away, because I'm not here to go to war. I'm here to be a peacemaker. I'm here to make peace between God and humanity through what I'm about to do. And so all of Peter's assumptions come crushing down in a millisecond. Everything he thought he was learning and standing up for and ready to fight for, suddenly it's just pulled away. And so we see that he flees, goes booking into the brush or whatever he does. And then after the the smoke clears a little bit, he begins to skulk his way toward where they have taken Jesus. And so clearly the rock is crumbling in the story. So he sneaks into the courtyard of the location where Jesus is being interrogated by the officials. And as the Savior endures coldness in the establishment, here we see the rock warms himself by a fire. And remember that he's by a fire. It's going to come up again in a minute. It's here at the fire that the sifting occurs with three accusations. The first comes from a servant girl. This man was one of Jesus' followers. Then another person chimes in and says, well, you must be one of them. And then a third person shows up and they're like, this has to be one of, he's a Galilean. He sounds like a Galilean, right? So three accusations come and what are his three replies? He says, first, I don't even know him, right? I don't know him. And second, no man, I'm telling you, I wasn't with him. And then the third one, he's like, he began to curse and to swear. I don't know the man, damn it, I'm telling you. He is not with me. I'm not with him. We're not connected. This is not my guy. So 
Simon, 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 you're going to deny me three times. No, I won't. I'll fall asleep on you three times, but I won't deny you three times. But when I'm accused three times, I ditch you three consecutive times. And as soon as that third one happens, we see this denial detector go off that Jesus talked about. This is a rooster crows, right? And it's like all of that just snaps into to Peter's thinking. More than that, we see in one of the stories, the account says that Jesus and Peter, their eyes locked as the rooster crows. And so Peter weeps, Jesus bleeds, the Christ dies, and three days pass. And so we find ourselves then in the early morning dark of Sunday. And the loyalists of Jesus are all hiding in fear, including the rock. In other words, the rock has been converted to Barney Rubble, right? Just nothing. Broken, dejected, ashamed. But just as the sun begins to snap over the darkness of night and drive it back, we see the women who are coming to the tomb to anoint his body, but no body is found. Instead, there's an angel that says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. So go and tell his disciples. Now you understand why they, he says, including Peter. Including Peter, because, man, if anybody needs to be healed of his mistakes, it's Peter. If anybody is going to feel like they have absolutely failed, it's Peter. And so the women, they tell the story. And where on Friday, Jesus, or Peter rather, ran away from Jesus. Now on Sunday morning, he's running toward the tomb where Jesus was. So there's a change in orientation for his life. But in this now, he knows. He knows. He's not all that in a can of spam. He's not that tower of apostolic power. He's not the best guy in the batch. No, he knows his baggage. He knows his junk. He knows he can't hide behind his bravado that if anybody else denies him, I won't deny him. I'll die with you. He knows now. That's a bunch of words. And he's got to grow. He's got to learn. So on Thursday, man, he thought he was sold out for Jesus. By Thursday night, Friday morning, he sells Jesus out. But by Sunday, he's now going to learn but Jesus is still sold out to him. It's huge for the soul and psyche of Peter. And you know how this relational healing begins to start? It's another fishing day. So Jesus rises and he appears to the disciples, but we don't see an interaction between Jesus and Peter until a few days later where Peter jumps in a boat and he goes fishing. And he's out there on the water and he's catching nothing. And then suddenly there's a shadowy figure that comes on the beach. How's the fishing today? Ah, terrible. Well, why don't you pull up your net and throw it on the other side of the boat? Ah, another wise guy like Jesus three years ago. Pull it up, throw it in, and then John goes, it's Jesus. And Peter is so overwhelmed by this reality that, that Jesus is reconnecting and the way their story originally started, that it says he puts on his tunic and then he dives into the water, which is very backwards to me because if you didn't have your tunic on, I would not recommend you put on a bunch of clothes and jump into the water. So apparently, one, he was naked fishing, which is super weird. And then B, he decides to clothe up, to jump into the water, to swim to shore, even though probably the boat could get there faster. But I love this because he's just so overwhelmed. He's so captivated by the moment. He just throws himself into the water, which is a gutsy move for a guy named The Rock, I got to admit. 
but he jumps in the water and he goes straight to the shore, right? He's swimming to be made right with the one that he so wronged. And so he gets to the shore and he's wet and he's cold and he's exposed and he steps up to Jesus who is now, you ready? By a fire. It's just like such beautiful prose. The very place where he denied Jesus by a fire is the very place where he, where he will be restored to Jesus. And so he's there, he's shivering, he's ashamed, he's regretful, he's got junk, it's palpable, right? But see, Jesus has a plan for Peter, and it's that Peter would see himself as Jesus sees him. I don't know about you, but I've made some big mistakes in my life where I've let people I, I, I love down pretty heavily, and you feel like you can't even reapproach it. You don't even know how to make it right. You're just sort of bashful about it. And, and you just want to kind of, kind of curl up in your own shell. And I have no doubt, that's exactly where Peter is. But then he says to Peter, bring me some fish. Right? Which is kind of this, I, I still have a purpose for you. So come on over here. He's kind of bringing him in slowly. And then next he says, come and sit and eat with me. Which in their culture is very intimate. It means we're friends, so have a bite with me. And then he says, you know what? I have some questions for you, Peter. In fact, I have three questions for you. Simon, Simon, Simon. Three promises, three accusations, three failures, three little snoozes when he was needed, and now there's three questions. And these are not questions that Jesus needs answers for. They're questions that Peter needs to wrestle with to realize how Jesus sees him. And so, what we know of Peter is that he was hot-tempered, unforgiving, slept on the job, gave over inflated promises, made impetuous decisions, ditched his friends, denied his Savior, but Jesus now needs to restore him and, and heal up his wounded friend. So he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, I don't know the tone behind all of this, but because there's three, I, I think it's just probing deeper into the psyche of Peter. So Peter, do you love me? Because you gotta know I love you, man. I'm committed to you. Do you love me? And so Peter says, well, Lord, you know I love you. But I have no doubt it's very hard to say it with conviction. Like, you know I do, because he said that like a couple of days before and failed there. So it's like, Lord, you, you know I do. But no, Peter, let me, let me ask the question again. Do, do, do you love me, Peter? Right? Because I am in this with you. And so I'm sure with a little bit more push, but still a lack of self-esteem, Lord, you know I love you. No, Peter, look me in the eye. I want you to feel it. Peter, do you know? Do you know what real love is? Do you love me? And the third time, it says, Lord, you know everything. And you know I love you. Incomplete, imperfect, failed, but trying. And so for all three times, you know what Jesus says to him? Then great, feed my sheep. Which what he's saying is, I want you to take care of my most precious thing, my people. And Peter, I wouldn't just give that to anybody. I'm giving that to you because I believe in you. I love you. I'm committed to you. I'm sold out to you. No mistake is too big. No junk is too heavy, too messy, too even diabolical because he came to forgive you, to restore you, and to use you. 
So follow me and feed my sheep. Here's my thing for today. We all be Peter, right? We're all a Peter at some point. We all have junk, make mistakes, do stupid stuff, hurt the people we love, right? Uh, we have sometimes poor priorities. We, we don't have a great relationship with God or maybe a great relationship with faith or a great relationship with the people that are most important, whatever it is. But Jesus is like, man, I'm here to clean up the junk. I'm here to make an investment in you and bring you on to completion to reorient our lives and to unleash us as agents of grace and truth in the world. And so here's my challenge as I wrap this up. Um, If you've got junk right now, maybe you're in the thick of it. Maybe you don't even know how to get out of it, right? Today is the day where you can say, Jesus, forgive me of my junk. Help me work through this. Help me to deal with the consequences of my decisions and come out the other side healthier and stronger. May I be like a Peter, not in failure, but a Peter in restoration and a Peter in moving forward so that I can be everything you want me to be. Maybe that's your prayer today. Or maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't even follow Jesus, right? Uh, but, but maybe you sense that you want to. That you're like, today's the day I want to actually become a Christian. I want to kind of figure out this life of faith with this person named Christ who changed the world and wants to change my life and make my life more abundant and better with him. Well, if that's you today, that's a prayer way where you can just pray in your heart with your words that come to your mind, Jesus, I want to follow you. And if you make that your prayer today, we have a number that you can text that just says, hey, I made that decision. We have a tile on our app that says, I have made that decision. But maybe today is the day you're making that decision. Or maybe you can just go to our app and you say, I need prayer. I need prayer because I got junk. And I'm trying to work it through. Whatever it is, what I know is that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose for the messes of our life to heal us, restore us, and complete us. Let's go and pray together. Jesus I thank you that unlike so many systems, you're not looking at us saying, step up, deliver, be perfect, be just complete in every way. But you're like, I came because the world is a messy place and people have messy lives and you want to forgive and restore us even in our mess. Help us, Jesus, to trust you in that. Help us to be like you in that. Help us to show forgiveness to one another. Not be quite so condemning or judgmental in our world, but rather people who know we need grace and so we show grace. We look to you to be our guide because you are a God of grace. We thank you in your good name. Amen.